As you probably already know, uh, traditionally, today is the beginning of what we call Holy Week. Um, at least in the Western Church, we call this Holy Week. It begins, of course, on uh, Palm Sunday. It goes uh, for the next few days, and it concludes, of course, on Easter, the Resurrection Sunday. Most pulpits, um, at least the ones that I know of, are usually occupied with, with themes that are drawn from the events of that week. Um, so ours will be, too. We're going to draw a... Um, from the theme of Jesus' trial before Pilate. And by the way, the title, uh, this is not to do with a stretching exercise or a, um, a course in physical fitness. This is not Pilates. Uh, there's not an E on there. This is Pilate, you know, the guy mentioned in the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> so you follow. In John chapter 18, in your copies of God's Word, we'll begin reading in verse 38 and read through verse 33. Excuse me, 33 through 38. John chapter 18, beginning at verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that endures forever. You know, it seems to me that Hollywood's missing the boat. I mean, you could make a fortune off of a movie that was uh, based on the life of Pilate, Pontius Pilate. There is enough raw data given to us by secular Roman historians to, um, not, not to mention what the New Testament gives us concerning Pilate. There's enough data from secular historians to put together a, a pretty fair description of, of this guy and what he was like and what he did and what he didn't do. Uh, and then add to that, what the New Testament gives us, and boy, we, we've really got ourselves the makings of quite a movie. Um, what, we, what we get from, um, from both sources, both the secular and from the New Testament, is a picture of a pretty 
pitiful man. The picture is not that he's such a a um, a wicked villain. He, he is that. But the conclusion that is unavoidable is that he's weak. He's um, he's confused. He's vacillating. He's he's indecisive. It's it's hardly the picture of of someone you would think is a Roman governor. Um, his, his reputation among secular historians is really no better than what you get in the New Testament. It's really the secular historians that, that tell us about his, his failed political life. I mean, he was a disaster as, as, a, as a Roman administrator. His, his administration was, was known for, for uh, corruption and and violence and, and theft and, and, um, executions of people without even the hint of a trial. He was, um, he was known for his first political, his first official act as governor of Judea as one who caused an insurrection. He allowed his Roman troops to come in with their pagan banners and, and, and the Jewish populace erupted in, um, in a mob scene, and the only way that it was really stopped was when Pilate realized that the Jews would rather die than suffer this affront from Roman armies, so he finally told them to put it down. And on a later occasion, Pilate stole money from the temple treasury so that he could build an aqueduct to supply water into Jerusalem from the pools of Solomon. When the people found out that he had stolen money from the temple treasury, they, they revolted again. And so the way Pilate put that one down was he took some of his soldiers and disguised them as just citizens and equipped them with daggers and they massacred all these people who were, some were writers, some were just innocent bystanders. At the end of his, really the end of his life is somewhat shrouded in mystery, but one Fairly reliable historian by the name of Eusebius says that he was exiled to Gaul, which is France, and um, through a series of misfortunes at the end of his life, he finally took his own life. I'm telling you, it's a, it's a great movie. I mean, there's lots of stuff in here for a movie, I, it seems to me. All, all four of the Gospels and the Gospel writers mention him. And each one of them, each one of the gospel writers adds another little facet of this pitiable portrait of a man who is caught in this moment of history that exposed just how weak he really was. I mean, as the, as the story continues to unfold, at least in the New Testament, it's like, oh no, not that, not again, not all oh, that, ooh. He just unravels before your very eyes. And there's nothing enjoyable about watching a man that you thought was strong begin to unravel right in front of you. Guys, do you remember last fall, right before the elections, when the, the, uh, the scandal with Ted Haggard broke? Do you remember that? You know, Ted Haggard, who was the the president of the National Association of Evangelicals and was the pastor of this huge church in, I think it was Colorado Springs. Remember that? And the guy in Denver that 
outed him and all that business. I remember watching that, and the last thing that I wanted to be is hard on Ted Haggard. Part of the reason I didn't want to be hard on him is because I know that I have the same potential for egregious sin. But the, but the other part, or the other reason, part of the reason that I didn't want to be hard on him is because I felt so sorry for him. You know, every, every new news broadcast exposed something else. And, it, and it's like this man who was supposedly the strong leader was melting. Right there on CNN. And, and that's kind of what I feel with Pontius Pilate. The guy's pitiful. Um, and what he ends up doing is, is utterly reprehensible. But could I just give you a, just a sampling of what I mean by how pitiful he is? You don't need to turn, but this is just, these are two incidences in Luke's account of what's going on. Uh, in verses 13 through 16, um, um, he calls every, all the chief priests and the rulers together and um, he says to them, uh, After examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to me, uh, back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. By him, I will therefore punish and release him. Here's what he says: uh, I examined him, and Herod examined him, and neither one of us found anything. I mean, he's not guilty. The guy's innocent. So here's what I'm going to do: I'm going to punish him and release him. Punish him for what? You just got through saying that he was innocent. But you're going to go ahead and punish him? For what? You, out of your own mouth you said he was innocent. But you're going to punish him. What a miscarriage of justice. Later in that same scene, in verses 20 through, 22 to, through 24, um, you know, they're, they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And, and Pilate says, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he be crucified. And their voices prevailed. Their voices prevailed. Not, not reason, not, not evidence, not, not justice, but their voices. Their voices prevailed. This guy's a puppet. He's being blown about by a mob, by, a, by a, some kind of kangaroo court. Who's in charge here? It's not Pilate. I mean, he's supposed to be, but he's not. Their voices prevailed. Pitiful. One other thing that Matthew records, um, and you know this part of the story, Pilate is being just... Overcome with the mob, and and so he 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 thinks up a plan, or at least he thinks he thinks up a plan, and and um, his plan was, you know, we we always let one prisoner go this time of year, and and uh, so you know, there's Barabbas over there, and there's Jesus, and so I'm going to offer them which one, you know, they're all, you know, we know what's going to going to choose Jesus. So he goes out into this this mob, and he says, uh, you know, uh, who do you want me to release, uh, Barabbas? This vile insurrectionist or Jesus. And, um, 
And to his dismay and shock and surprise, they say, "Uh uh-uh, we want Barabbas. (laughs) He'd been outwitted. He'd been outfoxed. And and then uh, in Matthew 27, verse 22, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus? That's another sermon. Um, We'll come back to that at another Easter. There he stands, thinking... Okay, which one of you these want? And then, and, and they choose the one he didn't think they were going to choose. And then he says, okay, then, uh, oh, what am I supposed to do with Jesus? It's pitiful. The, the, the portrait is, is just pitiful. But for me, the, the absolute nadir to which Pilate sinks is really found in our text, the, the John 18 passage. You know what a nadir is, don't you? An apex is this thing. It's the, it's the top of the, it's the point. The top of the point. That's, a, that's an apex. The nadir is the, the opposite. The bottom. Well, for me, the nadir to which Pilate sinks is found in this John 18 story that I just read you. I read it a few minutes ago. What, what I read, and, and maybe you noticed this, but this is a private conversation. This is a conversation between Pilate and Jesus, between the Lord of glory and the Lord of Rome. And had Pilate only known with whom he was talking. But obviously he didn't. This little conversation, and it's, gosh, it's only six verses. This little conversation is utterly intriguing. Each exchange is worthy of, of our attention. And maybe in future Easter's we ought to look at the rest of the exchange. But we only have time to look at part of it. And I bet you know which part I want to look at. It's that last part. Verses uh, 37 and 38. Can I read those again? Then Pilate said to him, so you're a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king? For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate says, said to him, what is truth? <laughs> What is truth? Man, is that an ever a 21st century question. What is truth? Pilate scoffs at the idea that truth exists. Truth. Ha! If it exists, then where in the heck is it? Who has it? What does it look like? Truth. What is that? Does it even exist? Oh, please tell me that it does. Please tell me that it does exist. But for the life of me, I don't see it. I don't see it anywhere. What is truth? Oh, I, I, I see people who, who claim to have it. And, and, I, and people who claim to be telling it. But every time I think I've found something that's, that's substantive and reliable, something in which I can sink my teeth, 
It all vanishes. It's a mirage. And notice, guys, in the text, he's not asking what is true. Oh, no. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't ever ask something like that. At least our culture wouldn't. Um, he doesn't ask what is true, and neither does our culture. Because, well, first of all, the reason we don't ask a question like that is because we expect people to lie to us. Being lied to is a part of the human experience, a part of the human dilemma. It's a part of our culture. Politicians lie to us. Public trust in national leaders is at an all-time low. I heard that on CNN Thursday night. Um, a guy who I think is a, um, a Washington Post columnist, his name is Richard Stingle, he said that in Washington, lying is an art form and a growth industry. Uh, advertisers lie to us. We are, we are enticed to with... Um, with these false and unattainable ideals of, of wealth and, and, and beauty and, and happiness. Almost every ad is an exaggeration. And so we've become uh, fine print readers because we know that what they're saying in the bold print is not the truth. You know, preachers lie to us. Sad but true. And they do it with these big, wide, toothy smiles while they lie to us. The media lies to us. Um, I hate to tell you this, my dear friend, but this might come as a shock to many of you, but Fox News is just as slanted as is CNN, just from the other end of the spectrum. But, but guys... That's just part of the reason why we don't ask what is true, because we know we're going to be lied to. But the, but, the, but the second reason that he doesn't ask that is that Pilate doesn't, doesn't ask what is true, because that would imply that, that truth is, is out there somewhere. And, and our culture has, has given up. On every notion that, that truth exists anywhere. Folks, um, a generation ago, people used to object to Christianity because they said it wasn't true. Today, they object to Christianity because Christianity has the audacity to claim that it is true. That it has truth. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, that's, 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 just, um, that's just your opinion. Um, anything more than just your opinion is what Nietzsche calls a will to power. A Nietzschean will to power. And so to claim truth is uh, its motive, the thing that drives it. Is a will to power. No, no, no. You, you have no truth. And so whereas in the past, the claims of Christianity were rejected because it was concluded that they were false. That's one argument. But today, the argument is framed completely differently. 
Because this culture doesn't believe that truth even exists. Our, our postmodern age, folks, has, has lost its confidence in the truth. Um, there are no facts. There are only feelings. There's no, there's no truths. There's only interpretations. You know what you are? You're a, you're a perspectivalist. Perspectivalism. It's just your perspective. You've got a perspective. I've got a perspective. Everybody's got... It, it, no, no truths. In fact, if you want, you can even make up your own. Truth, gang, is no longer stranger than fiction. It is fiction. Truth is not what happened. It's what sells. Alistair Begg, who is a, a, a pastor in Cleveland, Ohio, who I esteem. Alistair Begg said, this is just one sentence. He said, this is the age where plausibility is given to every idea and certainty to none. I love that. Did you get it? Plausibility is given to every idea. Everything is plausible. But there's nothing certain. Every idea has plausibility. But there is certainty in none of it. And ladies and gentlemen, nowhere is that more true than in religion. All religions are plausible. Even laudable. As long as it never makes the unacceptable, intolerable claim to having in its possession absolute truth. Postmodernity wants our Christ. They, 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 they talk nice about our Christ. They want our Christ, but without his absolutes. And a Christ with no absolutes is no Christ at all. Gang, as long as Jesus is one of many options, he's no option at all. Gang, don't you, don't you see that it's in those absolutes that it's, well, actually it's because of those absolutes that Jesus is a very, very bad man if he is not God. Folks, um... Somebody a whole lot smarter than me has made this point in somewhat what I consider an ironclad argument. If you've ever read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, he's famous for something that's in there. And it's the whole idea that Jesus never intended for you to think of him as a good moral teacher, which is being taught in so many places. Did you hear me? He never intended for you to ever think of him as a good moral teacher. If that's all he is, ladies and gentlemen, C.S. Lewis says that he's something approaching a poached egg. Because if he is not God, then he is a very evil person for whom countless millions have died. And they died believing lies that he told them.
That is, if it's not true. But gang, if Jesus doesn't lie, if he didn't lie, then Pilate had the answer to his question standing right in front of him. And so do you. My friends, to say that that no religion is any more true than the other religions is a way of saying that all religions are false. Do you understand that? Let me, let me just give you one piece of explanation. I'm saying that to say that no religion is any more true than the rest of the religions is, is, is simply to negate all of them. It's to say that they're all false. Here's, here's what I mean. Gang, we as Christians say that we believe in a God who exists in one, we believe in one God who exists in three persons. That's called monotheism. Hindus believe in thousands of gods, hundreds of thousands of gods. That's called polytheism. Buddhism, on the other hand, would tell you that there is no such thing as a personal God. That's called pantheism. So we have one that's monotheism, one God, another that is uh, hundreds of thousands of God, polytheism, and then we have one that says everything is God, which is called pantheism. Gang, those are three contradictory positions. They, they contradict one another. They can't all be true. And the only way to say that they are is for you to lose touch with rationality, to become insane, or you can say truth doesn't exist, which is the option that our culture has chosen. And I am here to tell you this morning. The truth is standing right in front of you. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not, I'm not talking about me. Guys, you cannot make up your own truth any more than you can make up your own multiplication tables. And when you use your own multiplication tables to figure your taxes this April the 15th, you'll find out what, how insane that is. In, in a way, Pilate really was asking the wrong question. He wanted to know what the truth is. But the real question is, who the truth is. And Jesus says, I am the truth. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you listen to me. If that is not so, don't talk to me about your love for Jesus, because he's a very evil man, if that is a lie. Let me leave you with two closing thoughts 
quickly. Back in the mid and late 90s, there was a TV show that my kids loved. It was called The X-Files. And um, from time to time, one of the, the main characters of X-Files would say, you might remember this, he would, they would say, the truth is out there. <laughs> yes, it is. And if you haven't found it yet, don't quit looking. Your life now and your eternity later depends on you finding it and building your life on it. And my dear friend, that is good news. That is, you're not left with your feet firmly planted in midair. No, no. What I have told you today is one of the kindest things that you've ever had any preacher ever tell you. The truth is out there. Now find it. And build your life on it. But in the spirit of Elijah, ladies and gentlemen, some of you know what I mean, but if Baal is God, then go serve him. But if Yahweh be God, then serve him. But be done with this foolishness about all religions are equally true. Go examine the claims and see which presentation of truth helps you to integrate with reality the best. And then build your life on it. My last closing thought. One of the sad features of this story that, about Pilate was that he asked the question, but the text seems to suggest that, that he didn't wait around for an answer. He, he, does, he asked the question and keeps on plowing through there. And although he, he asked the question, he, he apparently doesn't expect to get an answer. Or maybe it was just his way of, of putting off having to make some kind of commitment. It makes me wonder if he, he really wanted an answer at all. I mean, he acted like he did. And so do some of you. But I'm not sure that you really want an answer. So you keep rubbing your chin and scratching your heads and talking about the confusion that you have over absolutes. That's not the issue and you know it. Down deep in your soul, you know that truth exists. But wanting to hear it that's an entirely different story. My friends, any peace that you have that has come by your refusal to examine the claims of Jesus Christ on your life, 
is a false peace. Frederick Beekner, a name that you might know of, Frederick Beekner tells a story about a, about a young boy who was 12 years old and who in a fit of crazed anger and depression got a hold of a, of a gun and, it's a true story, got a hold of a gun and, and killed his father. Um, and when the police asked him why he had done it, he said that he couldn't stand his father. His father demanded too much of him. My father was always after me. And, and, I, and I hated him. Later, after he was um, put in a juvenile detention center, Late one night, uh, a guard was walking past his room and heard sobs coming from his room, so stopped to listen and got closer. And, and he heard this little 12-year-old boy sobbing in the night saying, I want my father. I want my father. Gang, we have put truth to death. And now we're beginning to feel the emptiness of its absence. The good news is, it's out there. It's standing right in front of you. It is a he. Will you have him? Our Father, I do pray that you will encourage your people by reminding them that Jesus Christ is not a good moral teacher, but that he is God incarnate. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. Father, thank you that you have committed truth to black words on the white page and bound it in a book so that we have stuff on which we can build our lives, substantial stuff, a, a foundation that we often ignore, indeed. But it is there, provided to help us make some sense out of a very confusing life. Father, for those who've come here today and have not yet met this Savior of ours and are, who pride themselves on thinking that it's very liberal, open-minded to think that religions are only opinions, I pray that you will convince them of what insanity that is. That you would cause them to see the great beauty of Christ and Him crucified. Do that, Father, for the sake of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.